Good morning, good evening, good afternoon from wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to the Right on Track podcast, the show where we talk about all things Thomas and Friends and the Railway series. We are currently delving our way through series seven. I'm Connor Jonas and I've got my wonderful friend... Tom Parry. Tom I, Parry. I, I assume you're yes. talking about me. Yes. Yes, you. You. <laughs> you. You having a good day, Parry? I'm having a good day so far. I mean, every day is a good day when I'm recording right on track with you, so yeah. Aww. Aww. And normally we do have the tall, bearded Tom Denham here. However, sadly he's been called away last minute, so for that we need to pull in a good friend of ours to help move through these episodes today. Lachlan Kyle. Hello. Let me do my best Tom Denham impression. Hello. This is Tom Denham. Uh, <laughs> deeper voice. Deeper voice. Deeper voice. <clears throat> Hello. I'm very large. Yes. There we are. We've got it. That's it. <laughs> so today Lachlan is going to be filling in for Vranch Tom Denham. So I, I'm expecting uh, lots of good jokes from you, man. Uh, okay. <laughs> Fantastic. This is the police. Yes, a very serious episode that we're going to be having today. A serious episode where we review three fantastic episodes from Series 3. Parry, would you like to Whoa, 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 Not Series 3. But series 3. Series 7. Series 3 plus Series 4. What? Equals Series 7. Ah. Uh, Basic maths. Series 3 plus Series 4. Series uh, I see what you uh, did there. Uh, uh. Good quick fix, quick thank fix. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Parry. Man's not hot. <laughs> Would you enlighten us as to what these episodes are? Certainly, Connor. We are covering today The Old Bridge, Edward's Brass Band, and What's the Matter with Henry? I, I, I don't know. You'll have to tell us. No, no. That, that it's posed as a question, so it will answer it for us. Ah. So with that, I say we delve right into our first episode, uh, The Old Bridge, where we're going to be just starting with Scullowy going about his day. Reneus and Scarlowy work on the most beautiful line on the island of Sodor. They love to puff through the forests and over the rivers. An old bridge crosses one of the rivers. Some of its beams were rotten and had now been damaged by a storm. Scarlowy chuffed happily along. He didn't see the broken rail until it was too late. He dangled dangerously above the water. Help! So, as we heard in the clip, Scarlowy has had a rather nasty accident on an old viaduct, and this is a location we haven't seen before in Thomas and Friends. It's an old wooden bridge that appears to be constructed from bamboo, like the bridge on the River Kwai, and apparently... All the little engines have been travelling across it all this time, and only now are we just seeing it. Yes. So, the old bridge, a story that opens with Scarlow going down today and then just having an accident right away. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. First thing, Scarlow crashes, is hanging precariously over this wooden bamboo bridge, uh, only to be rescued by Reneas. Hmm. Now, Scarlow... Uh, is very scared of crossing this bridge now. Mm, he's got PTSD. Yeah, yeah, it is, this is very much a story where you can say that he's been traumatised. Mm. But later on in the story, Reneus runs uh, out of fuel, breaks down on the bridge, and Scullowy goes and saves him. Mm-hmm. Reneus wasn't in any danger. Like, like he, he was just resting on the bridge. He was just stationary. Hmm. But yeah, he he just broke it down, which uh, uh, we'll probably get more into it. But like, it didn't create that sort of uh, tension that we needed. I guess yeah. we'll get more into it. Mm, but but it does create a different kind of tension. Mm. Uh, but from that, Scullowy gets over his fear of crossing the bridge. Now, I would like to note something here. In some releases, this episode was called the Old Iron Bridge. But well, hang on, what? It's not even Ooh. made of iron. What, exactly. What, what kind of logic is that like on tv releases where it actually shows the title card it's called the old iron bridge and the old iron bridge is what duncan had to cross in duncan gets spooked yes but this is a very wooden bridge 
It's actually an old trestle bridge. Uh-huh. Uh, and also, it's by Paul Larson. Fancy that. Mm. Anything to add to that, Connor, or you just wanted to throw that out there? Well, like, like I mean, it, he's the writer of the episode. He deserves credit for what we're about to review. Do you reckon maybe it was... Um, they they wrote up the episode, and it was supposed to be an old iron bridge, but uh, due to made, maybe budget restraints or a last-minute change, that it had to be a trestle bridge, and they just forgot about changing the episode name or something? Yeah, you know what? It very much could be... That in some production plans, which they, like, sent off to TV stations and marketing, they put it down as Old Iron Bridge. But, yeah, we, we, we don't know for now. Because maybe they plan to reuse that bridge. Um, but now that I think of it, if they were planning to reuse that bridge and do that scene where Scarlowy crashes, I don't think you'd get that sort of... Dangling. ...effect where he hangs off. He'd, he'd have to just fall. Yeah, in, in the accent scene in this episode, Scalowy is essentially sitting on a flap of cardboard from a box. I feel that's the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we're just going to stay I, silent there. I, we, I, I think I think if I, if I would describe it, so what what happened is you've got your bridge and Scalowy, uh, a section of it is somewhat fallen, but they show a scene like looking up from under the bridge towards where Scalowy is and he falls just a little bit more or something. So, like, if you imagine... Literally, just, just just what Connor said. If you imagine, like, grabbing a, a flap from cardboard box and just letting it go and it falls. Yeah, it's just hanging, flapping there. Yeah. But this is actually a bit of a surprise here. Not the crash itself, not uh, the Scalloway Railway. Well, actually, no, the Scalloway Railway. Well, here we are four episodes into Series 7... And we've got an episode of the Scarlet Railway already. Hooray! Whee! So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As we've seen in stories past, like Series 4, for example, a huge chunk of that was Scarlet stories. And then Series 5, we had three at the end. Series 6, another three stories at the end. But here they're sort of scattered throughout, which I kind of like, to be honest. It's like every yeah, so often no. we get to take a breather from the Northwestern Railway and see, you know, what Scarlet and gang are up to. Yeah, not only that, there are six Scarlet Railway stories in Series 7. <gasps> this being the first of them. Hmm. Which means that we're getting double the amount of Scarlet that we're used to from previous seasons. Hooray! And they're not all clumped in together at the end as an afterthought. They're actually sprinkled throughout. Mm-hmm, that they are. Now, what I would like to just sort of point out here in this story is the wonderful model work. Between so many different things. Yeah, I, I wanted to raise this as well, actually. I mean, yeah, of course, I've got shots of the causeway of the old stone viaduct and whatnot. But the bridge itself is absolutely, it's a beautiful piece of architecture. Gorgeous. I love it. And I especially love, like, the green hills on either side. And then you've got the pebble, I, I don't know what you call it, it's like a shallow river below, I mean, it, it looks great. Yeah, it's a shallow river with a thin shale and slate along the sides of it. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, they've got every crossbeam in place on the bridge. There's one particular shot uh, later on in the episode when Sir Topham's told Scarlowy, because of course Sir Topham's in charge of the Scarlowy Railway. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's been mended, but the trucks have been left there. Scarlowy, you go fetch them. And Scullowy's just sort of edging across the bridge. Mm-hmm. And he looks down into the water far below. And you can just see these old trucks, broken, dilapidated, just sitting on the edge of the riverbank. You can too. I've never noticed that before. But I'm, I'm looking at the story now and yeah, it's, it's they're there. Good pickup. It's one of my favourite shots because it almost tells an entire other story there. Mm. Because, okay, what caused these things to fall down? But what is most impressive about this entire bridge is the amount of water there is. Mm. Because previous times that we've seen real water used in Thomas, it's been used for either water at the ocean or maybe a little valley that's probably only about as wide as your fist is. Mm Mm-hmm. In this scenario, it's a massive, massive 
a river that spans basically across the entire set in width. Hmm. The, the amount of actual, like, prop work you'd have to go to to make a giant waterproof bed for that, then build the stuff around it, and have the bridge still standing? It's astounding. I absolutely love the model for the old trestle bridge, not iron. And furthermore, we even get to see more of the depot uh, this series and this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, with the depot, we first having seen it in the Series 6 episode, Faulty Whistles. Yes. But I like to consider that this is its first official introduction. If you say so, Connor, if you say so. Um, I do say so. <laughs> well, the one thing I wanted to raise is I think they've characterised the Fat Controller pretty well here. Because in the past, we know he's a bit of a grump, being a bit stern. But here, when he's addressing Skarloey about his inability to cross the bridge you know it's there's kind of like a little bit of warmth to it and a little bit of understanding i don't know whether mm. either of you two got that vibe but yeah it's it's as if to say look i understand what you're going through but if you can't do what i tell you to do then i i, I just can't trust you and you need to you know do something else do, do this other work yeah, yeah. exactly and it, it, it's sort of a bit of a nice return to the more, I would say, corporate side of Sir Topham. Mm-hmm. Because he's being realistic in that sense. Yes, he is. I absolutely love it. Hmm. Um, there is one thing that, as, as a younger person, didn't particularly please me about this story, and it's how they characterise Scarloe. Because on the one hand, yes, you've got this narrative this conflict about overcoming trauma but on the other hand this is Scarloe he's a hundred plus years old surely he wouldn't you know be brought to his figurative knees by this tiny little mishap on a bridge you say that Mm. but this could very much be and I like to believe it is a story before 1952, before Sir Handel and Peter Sam arrived on the railway. And this entire idea is thrown away by one shot. Of Duncan. Yeah, you see the back of Duncan in the shed. Mm. You don't see his face, he says nothing, it's just the back of him. Mm. Which harkens back to series four, where on the Midsodal Railway, mm. you'd frequently have Scarloe, Reneas, and Duncan, the back of them seen throughout to make the railway scene busier. Yes. And you could argue also, like, this is the early days and this is another engine apart from Duncan, but in the original stories by River and Audrey, it said that Scarlo and Reneas more or less worked the line alone until um, oh. Reneas had to be sent away, and that's when they had to bring in Stuart and Falcon. Yes, exactly, which is why I've chosen to completely ignore that Duncan is there at all. Mm. Okay, that <laughs> sounds logic, Connor, well done. Thank you, thank you. But, like, I mean, if this is a story that takes place before 1952, it would explain why Scarlowie is so scared of the bridge, especially after he's been traumatised by an accident with it. Mm. And throughout the entire show, there's been dozens of different engines and continuity errors between episodes and stories. Mm. I, I feel that just ignoring Duncan here isn't too much of an ask. Fair enough. And uh, also, uh, having it set prior to the 50s, that would also explain why we haven't seen this bridge in future stories. Yeah. Because there's every possibility that it's been knocked down and rebuilt again. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, at the the first shot of the episode is Scarlow and Reneas passing the big uh, stone viaduct. Mm-hmm. But it could possibly be, because that's just stock footage, that this was the viaduct before the viaduct. That's a possibility, but you've also got to consider that there's a lot more vegetation Green, yes. around that bridge. Uh, they, they cut away most of the mountains to make the new viaduct. That's a big effort. When I say most of the mountains, I mean, they changed the entire geo-landscape. They disrupted the water table. 
And in fact, they, they just built cliffs for fun. I mean, this is so cool. Stuff like this happens all the time. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> well, actually, we joke about it now. In Reverend Audrey's companion book, which is Sodor, its people, its railways, its history, they do mention that uh, in the early days of the island and its settlement, they used to drain entire areas of the island in order to make way for farmland and whatnot. So having them... <laughs> you know, deconstruct and then reconstruct the landscape around them is not... <laughs> Entire mountains. Well, well, okay, I'm, I'm, maybe not that, but I'm just saying what they're doing is not outside the realms of possibility. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You could definitely have A.W. Co. step in, which is the fictional company mm-hmm. that worked on reclaiming tidal land from the sea and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And... A.W. Dry & Co. is also where the station name Dry Ore came from. Mm-hmm. And A.W. Dry is just Audrey. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is, Connor. So we could very much have Audrey step in here and help us out. Well, we, we could if he wasn't dead, Connor. I mean, come on. <laughs> I was referring to, to, to the Audrey company. Oh. A.W. Dry & Co. Okay. Right. Now, Lachlan. Who's Lachlan? I'm Tom Denham. <laughs> uh, you seem to have something to say about the quote-unquote climax of the episode. Okay, so the climax of the episode is supposed to be uh, Reneus is sent to go collect Scarlow's trucks, and the uh, load's a lot heavier than what Reneus is used to, give or take, you know, any other episode where he's hauled more, maybe, whatever. But he breaks down on the bridge. Mm-hmm. I think to raise a bit more tension, he should, like, derail or something and then scale... Because, like, if he breaks down any other engine, assuming that this is um, not taking place before... Post. Uh, post-1952, yeah. could go and rescue him, like Rusty or Duncan or anyone. Mm. Now I think of it, it actually does work with the theory that this does take place before 1952, that it's only Scarlo and Renaissance that work on this railway. But, like I said, to raise the tension a bit more, I think he should, like, derail or something. So, mm. you know, tension's a bit higher, that, like he actually has a chance of falling rather than, you know, just breaking down. Because then, if he breaks down, you know, Scarlet, we could still be a bit scared. He could still stay on just one side or something. But because his friend is dangling over the edge, it's like, okay, now I really have to conquer my fear and go save my friend. Mm. You know, the people who are really in peril here, though, are Renaissance's driver and fireman, because they have absolutely no way of getting off the bridge. Okay, here's another thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's good that you brought that up, Harry, because I noticed they don't have a way of getting off the bridge. But how do they couple Scarlow and Renee together? How can they climb around the cab and onto the footplate? Yeah, that's a very, very good point there you've made, Lachlan. Actually, <laughs> yeah, hang on. Be- because, like, I mean, they, they don't have their bunkers behind them like on other engines. Their bunkers are actually in front of the cab, mm-hmm. which makes less room for them to get onto the... Unless Scarloe brought a very long shunter's pole <laughs> and they, they like, yes. put it through one of the um, the portholes, the windows on the front, and tried to <laughs> angle it so that they got on uh, Renee's coupling. They stuck their head and then, like a cat... Squeezed their entire body through the porthole windows <laughs> and then climbed over the boiler. Hmm. But now that's a very good point. There is, I'll say, a little bit of room. It's not much room. No, it's the tiniest amount and there's every chance you could fall across the edge of it. Absolutely. There's every chance that, you know, the engines were in danger, but the driver and firemen's absolutely were. Mm. But yeah, the climax of the episode, it feels like they were trying to go more of a emotional or like tension of Scarlowy's fear mm. that they were trying to pull across here. But if they were going to do that, couldn't they have like done some trick shots or something like that? Like, you know, a fancy zoom or maybe a slanted camera angle, you know? Yeah, I- I- exactly. Do a, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Hitchcock zoom. Vertigo. Yes. Is what you're thinking of. Yeah, the, the vertigo zoom. Or, going back to the whole thing of making the scene a bit more tense, could they make it like the bridge is threatening to 
fall or something. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Like, it's, it's like structural noises, maybe a bit some creaking and things like that. Or maybe calling back to like Toby in the flood, maybe a storm has happened or something and the river's starting to rise and Renee's has broken down on the bridge and, you know, he's in danger. He's in actual danger. Yes. Yeah, in fact, I would argue to say that as Skarloey, the first time he tries to cross the bridge to fetch the trucks and fails, I would argue to say that that scene is a bit more tense. Mm. Because it's got one thing that the actual climax of the episode doesn't have. And that is a shot looking down from the bridge. Mm. All, All shots of the bridge are from far away, but this one actually has a shot looking downwards Mm. into the rushing torrent below. And the climax doesn't have it. Now, I would like to say, though, that this may be based on a magazine story. Maybe. Why do you say maybe, Connor? I say may because there isn't much confirmation around it, but this magazine story is very similar story-wise to this, where essentially... Percy sees a big, tall viaduct, goes, I'll never go on that. But then later, James has an accident where one of his trucks falls off the track near the viaduct. Mm. Not on the viaduct, near the viaduct. Just near it. And then Percy rushes across the viaduct with the breakdown train because he believes that it was James who had fallen off the track. (laughs) But it's... On the line of similar, because it, it, it has a tall thing, Engine doesn't want to cross tall thing, but when their friend is in trouble, they go save them. But <sighs> this story is beautiful, but I wouldn't say it's very strong. Yeah, I'm, I have to be in agreement with you there, Connor, because it I, th- there's all the elements of a potentially good story here. I mean, it's a good conflict, it teaches great morals, but... It's just not tense and exciting and engaging enough. Um, So with that in mind, uh, can we move on to the scores? I'm up for the scores. Okay, well, I'm going to lead off with a 5 out of 10. Oh, yeah, 5 out of 10 from me as well, yeah. All right, um, now, Lachlan, uh, since Denim's not here, we'll just ask for your score. Uh, Yep, so Denim's actually sent me uh, his... Uh, thoughts on uh, the old bridge. Oh, of course he uh, has. Uh, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. <laughs> Favoritism, of man. course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell us your scores first. Tell us your scores. Okay. Ugh, it leaves a lot to be desired. You can feel that there's a lot missing from it. It's got potential. It has a lot more potential. There's a lot more that could be used to fill in the gaps. Like with that in quotations climactic scene where Scarlet goes and saves Renee. So there should be a lot more at stake. Yeah. There should be. Like I said, there's a lot missing. i got to give it a four. Ooh. Okay. But just wait. I'm going to read out uh, Denim's thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Denim says, A nice return from the Skarloey Railway, but a character flaw is very noticeable within the titular character. However, Renee's is fine for now. My headcanon theory is that up until this point, both engines are very old and are long overdue for an overhaul, a process which usually takes about 10 to 15 years in real life. In his place, a new Scarlow has been built ahead of the services on the line, but does not personify the same character as he is a different engine and younger as well. Story itself is simple to the point left wanting a bit more, but the music cues are nice, I guess. Two out of ten. Oh. I think uh, Denim's theory is a bit far-fetched. I think it's a bit far-fetched as well. Yeah, but, but what I like, though, is how Denim and I both saw that this episode will wasn't right the way it was, and we came up with a theory to explain it. Ah. I chose to ignore Duncan, because if Duncan wasn't there, it throws everything in the right place. Behem says, keeps the story as it is, and then just adds an extra detail. Maybe it's Teller Clint coming for a visit, and he's just wearing Scarlow's nameplate. <laughs> that's a bit far-fetched as well, but... Saw theory. <laughs> I think that's pretty good, actually, because you know how on the Talon Railway they sometimes dress their engines up as, you know, the characters from the Railway series books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and like, the Talon Railway hasn't got a big old trestle bridge. Well, I think they have a trestle bridge, but it's just not 50 feet high, I think. It's not as exaggerated. Yeah. Or drastic. So that could definitely work, too. Maybe. 
I'm honestly surprised that he gave it a four. No, he gave it a two. I gave it a four. He gave it a two. Lachlan <laughs> uh, gave it a you four. You gave it a four. Yeah, sorry. So I'm honestly surprised that he gave it a two. Because it's a beautiful episode. But if Denim was here, I'm sure that we'd be able to change his opinions. <laughs> I love your optimism, Connor. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm always optimistic. Mm. And while we're on the subject of optimism, let's go to one of our most optimistic characters in the Railway series as we cover Edward's Brass Band. Edward couldn't wait to hear the Brass Band play their wonderful music. He was so excited about meeting the Brass Band that he didn't notice the giant crane. It was unloading a huge ship's boiler. Suddenly... The crane swung the boiler and knocked Edward right off the track. Cranky had been watching. You useless little engines are always in the way. Poor Edward. The fat controller came immediately. We will take you to the fitter's yard and Bertie will have to meet the brass band instead of you. Edward was sad. Oh! Poor Edward. That's a pretty serious accident. That would probably put him out for a little while. Um, so, in the clip we just saw, Edward is on the way to Brendam Docks to pick up the brass band. But, unfortunately, on his way, a crane, I think it's Big Mickey... Yes, it is. ...is uh, lifting a ship's boiler and swings it into poor Edward, and he falls over into a pile of coal. And, unfortunately, the Fat Controller comes along and says that he can't take the brass band to the, to the fair today, which is unfortunate. Bertie will have to do it instead. Yeah. So, this accident, I would argue two things about it. One, it is one of the most satisfying things to watch, because just the way that in one continuous shot, we said Edward come round the corner, a big boiler swing into place, knock him off, and then have the boiler swing away and see Edward on his side. Mm. Very satisfying. I reckon that would have taken a few takes to get that right. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. You couldn't get that in one shot. No, definitely mm. not. I would also say, though, that next to Edward's Railway Series accident and Edward's exploit, mm. that this is the most severe accident Edward has ever been involved in. I would say you're correct, Connor, in that assertion. Absolutely. Because in Edward's exploit in the Railway Series, his coupling rod Charlie jumps up and punctures through his running board and nearly cracks his boiler. Mm. In the TV series, he he just sort of stops. Mm. But here, he's been knocked over by a massive boiler, fallen onto the side. Like, I mean, regardless of dents or no dents, that's going to cause damage. Yes. However, damage as it may be, the next day Edward is... Working perfectly normal again. He's fine. Mm. He's fine. How do you get over a several X amount ton ship boiler, which is huge, if you've ever actually... Oh, yeah. Have you guys ever seen a real ship boiler? Uh, yeah, I, I have before. Uh, oh, a gloating Connor over there. Haha. <laughs> but I was answering the question, Parry. <laughs> okay, well, anyone that's seen a, an actual boiler will know that it's huge, and they probably weigh several... A hundred tons, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having that swing into a small steam engine like Edward, that's going to... Not only will I put dents in that side, like, that would probably ruin his cab and whatnot as well, but then falling over into that coal, that would do more damage to the other side. But he's fine the next day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Granted, during the night, there's a big storm, workers work on throughout the night, and then mm. the next morning, Edward's like, oh, will the fitters be done soon? He's like, oh, not soon enough, band can't wait. Birdie has to take him. Mm. But it's a horrid accident for Edward to go through. Mm. Well, for anyone to go through, really. But because, like, that boiler is easily, I would say, about three or four times the size of Edward himself. Mm-hmm. But, of course, after this accident, uh, what's occurred is Bertie has to take the very important brass band. So it's Bertie's brass band now. Mm-hmm. However, during the night, there was a massive storm. Mm-hmm. And Bertie decides to take a shortcut to avoid flooded roads. And then he finds himself stunk in a muddy field. Now, where have we seen this before? Yeah. Yeah, I, it, it seems to be that 
if a road vehicle has an accident, it's going to be them breaking down or stuck in a muddy field. Mm. Those are the only two options. Mm. Or stuck under a bridge. Okay, okay. Bulgy's accident is, is like an outlier. Okay. It's a statistical anomaly here. Right, yeah. But yet we, we, we've seen Bertie getting stuck in a muddy field before. We, we have. This is what I was referring to before. If we recall all the way back in the Series 3 story, Edward, Trevor and the Really Useful Party, Bertie tried dropping a, a lot of his bus passengers off in a field where it had been raining the night before and he got bogged and he had to have Terence and Trevor help pull him out. Yeah. He should have learned from his mistake. He should know that after all this rain, then the back roads are probably just full of mud and he's going to get stuck. He should know this. In fact, we never actually see Bertie get saved. No, no, he's just, he's there now. He's a permanent fixture. Yeah, he lives there. But yes, sadly, the brass band is unable to get to the concert on time if Bertie's stuck. So they come up with a plan in order to actually save them. And it's one of the most creative actual twists in an episode I've seen. It is. I agree. Because they tell the tuba player to tune up your tuba and they call for help using it. Mm. And what happens is... In the yard, nearby enough, is Edward. And his driver goes, I can hear music. And Edward goes, it's not music, it's an alarm. And then they go off, take some coaches, and they find the brass band, and they save them, and they take them to the concert, and everyone has a wonderful day and night. I'd like to know how loud they were playing and how close they were to the, the fitter's yard where Edward is. This is this is a problem. Uh, two problems I have with this, actually. One, exactly what Parry said. How far away were they for Edward and his driver to hear the tuba playing? Two, could Bertie or the brass band not have waited just a little bit longer for Edward to be ready to go? Yes. Because Edward goes and saves them. Hmm. Yeah, the fan control says it won't be done soon enough. But Bertie's been delayed, and then Edward gets there and saves them, and takes them to the brass band concert. Hmm. But like, like, I mean, the concert may have been delayed a little bit, but the concert is being held at night. So maybe the time that was missed out on was like prep time, or extra rehearsal. The matinee. Yeah. But, like, Edward even says, I'll get you to the concert on time. Hmm. So the actual idea of Edward not being repaired fast enough, it's an entire threat in the story attention that is unnecessary because the line literally undoes it. Mm, yes, quite. I mean, logic aside, though, this is one of my favourite stories of Series 7, and visually it looks spectacular. I mean, they reuse a lot of stock footage, yes, but you see, like, as we said, Edward's accident, it looks great. The nighttime scenery with the rain coming down, that looks great as well. A lot of green, that muddy field where Bertie's stuck, that's some great set design there too. It's it's all wonderful, honestly. I, I love watching this episode. Mm. I would like to say, this episode, it's brilliant. And it's got one of my favourite details in it. Mm. So, if you are listening to UK or international releases with Mike O'Donnell and Junior Campbell's original music mm-hmm. scores in it, when the tuba plays the alarm, they actually tooting out SOS in Morse code. Ah. So, sadly, in the Robert Hartsthorn releases of the music it just plays like a little musical ditty which when edward's drummer goes i can hear music edward's supposed to go yeah that is music (laughs) and not realize it's an alarm Mm. it's a detail i feel it's missing from the u.s releases but in the uk international releases they play sos in morse code which is dot 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 dash 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 Mm. Dot, dot, yeah, dot. so not the Rhiannon song. The, no. Yeah, the actual, yeah, playing of Morse code. <laughs> now, like, I mean, I used to believe when I was younger that I would be on a lot more, you know, desert islands and would need to know SOS, mm-hmm. save ourselves for various things. So 
I learnt a little bit of Morse code way back in the day, but Edward knows Morse code here. Yes. Which you can either go as something along the lines of, oh, hey, yeah, I've just come up with a reason that Edward was like, oh, I'm bored, I'll learn Morse code. Or there's an actual in-law reason considering that these are engines who have been through the world wars. That would sound more appropriate, I would think. And as well as that, you know, they've got whistles as well. So maybe there's a situation where their drivers or firemen have had to use that whistle and whistle out that code so that people can hear it. Exactly. Actual whistle codes are an entire other thing Mm. of uh, railway law. But I love that little detail. I have a theory. Do you now? Oh, I think during the events of, uh, what was it, Percy's Promise? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Percy's driver tooted out SOS to try and get help, and therefore Harold the helicopter comes along and drops hot cocoa and whatnot. And then, maybe later, at some point, Percy tells that to Edward, and that's how Edward learned the SOS code. Hmm. Yeah, it could very much be. I like that. Or there's a, there's a, there's some other story in that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I prefer yours, Lachlan, to be <laughs> honest. You know, this idea of the younger tank engine schooling the older tender engine, you know. Yes. Now, this is a very special episode in Series 7. Mm-hmm. Not only is it a good story, and it's got Morse code in it in UK international releases, but it's also the first time mm-hmm. that a character from the Thomas and Friends sister show, Tugs, is used as a character and not as just a background prop. Ah, you're referring to Big Mickey the Crane, aren't you? Yes, the crane that swings the boiler and knocks Edward over is Big Mickey, Mm. first seen in the Tugs TV show. And he will still be called Big Mickey because way, way down the line, he is actually named and given a face, Big Mickey. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's very special because of that, because it's the first time that they're actually used as a character of sorts. Yes, indeed. Or at the very least, interacted with uh, the main cast Mm. of the show. Mm. But there's another standout point about this episode, Mm -hmm. which isn't so celebratory. Uh Uh-oh. And that is that Edward's Brass Band, story by Robin Charteris, is Edward's only speaking role in the seventh series. Oh, no. But my, what a story they give him. Oh, yeah. It's a stunning story. It's a perfect Edward story. It is a perfect Edward story. (sighs) Okay, when I say perfect Edward story, I mean it's the perfect story for Edward. Yes, I knew what you were referring to. But it is his only role in the seventh series, which, like, I mean, I don't know whether when we rate it, to dock points, because it means that Edward doesn't talk anymore, or give extra points because it's the only one that actually gave Edward a chance to speak. Mm, well, I think since we're um, talking about downsides here, I think the accident, we've got to discuss the logic there, because first of all, what is a crane doing hoisting this huge, large boiler at such a low height? to the point where he can knock an engine over, to where is the signalman? Why is he not telling Edward to stop? Because there's this big piece of machinery making its way across the tracks. Or at least, if not a signalman, a flagman. Yes. Someone like that. Anyone. Yes. You're going, hey, there's a big crane here operating. Don't go here. Yes. So obviously at the Brendam docks, there's been a huge breakdown in communication. Absolutely. You'd almost think that this is Sodor or something. (laughs) 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 Yes. Um, And one more thing I want to raise as well before we get into scores and whatever else. I do love when Edward's lying on his side and he's speaking to the fat controller. He's at a Dutch angle. (laughs) So, you know, the fat controller and his posse, they look like a boy band on the cover of an album. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a shot taken from like the point of view of Edward, where you just see Sir Topham and his posse on uh, on an angle. It's hilarious, but also very creative. It is. It's great. And Series 7 gets very creative in its shots, which we'll talk about in a later episode. That we will. But that takes us on to ratings here. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless, Locke, and you've got anything else you want to raise? Uh, no. I'm happy to go on to ratings. Okay. Well, you lead us off then. What would you give this story out of 10? 
Uh, okay, well, I do like the accident. That is very interesting. And and like Connor was just mentioning before, that Dutch angle of uh, Sir Topham and his posse, that was quite humorous. Uh, I feel like this is just another bit of a... I'm not sure whether to say this is another lackluster episode. It just feels a bit janky to me, for lack of a better term, that Edward is heavily damaged and then fixed the next day. The brass band is already on their way. But, like, they could have waited for Edward. I don't know. There's just something that feels weird about that to me. Um, I'm going to give it a four. Another four from you. Okay. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is a good episode. It's just that there's... It just doesn't feel right. No, I, I know where you're coming from. It's a brilliant story. But the thing is, all the little inconsistencies about it that don't make too much sense on how was Edward repaired in a day... Why couldn't the brass band wait for them? And how'd they even hear the brass band with their alarm? Yeah. I think either this episode could have done with a bit of a rewrite, like fixed a few things up, or maybe could have been in an earlier season. It doesn't feel right being here. Yeah. Mm. But for those reasons, I'm going to give it a six. Six, Connor. Okay, well, I'm going to be slightly more generous than you. I'm going to gift it with a seven. As I said, this is one of my favourites of Series 7. It's one I actually return back to a lot. I enjoy watching it. And, of course, it's Edward. We all love Edward. He needs to be in more stories. Oh, yeah, and this is the only time he speaks in Series 7. <laughs> uh, uh but, but we're forgetting someone here, aren't we? Um, <laughs> I, I believe, Lachlan, you've got your intel from Denim. I do have my intel from Denim. Sent over by Morse code. That's right. <laughs> do, 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 do. I, I, actually, Tuba. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Tuba Morse code. All right. You guys might be a bit, I don't know, astounded at this score, but I'll read it out. So, Uh-oh. Tom Denham's score for Edward's Brass Band. A sign of the times that we can start to feel stories begin to get watered down. This was written for the sake of Edward having a story. So, I think what Tom's saying there is like, oh, last minute thing, we got we got to do, we got to write one episode for Edward, and then that was it. They didn't think about him afterwards. Hmm. Uh, you could have given the lead to anyone else, and nothing would change. Yeah, that's a fair point. Series seven also seems to have a thing for storms. Yes. One out of ten. Oh. Are you serious? This this is what Tom has sent to me. One out of ten. <laughs> oh. Okay. Right. That, that is... Okay. That is... Oh. That's... That's a downer <sighs> if ever I heard it. Um, that's a large oof. Yes, yes. L- l- listen, I'm, I'm sure, you know, maybe we'd be able to sway Dim's mind. But one thing that I feel that all of us can agree on is that we love a good Edward story and that we love Edward. Mm-hmm. And for that, we move on to our musical interlude. Ah. Which is Edward's theme orchestrated by the wonderful Francis S., you're listening to the Run and Track Podcast.
And that wonderful cover you just heard was by Francis S. It was, of course, of Edward's theme that we hear throughout Series 1-7 to of Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. And this is Right on Track, the podcast where we talk about, talk all about Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. And we've got one more story to cover today, which is what's the matter with Henry? Uh, Lachlan, talk us through what we're about to hear in the following clip. Uh, So in this clip we're about to hear, Henry's not feeling very well today. The next morning, the fat controller arrived. Thomas Henry Percy, I want you to collect some trucks and take them to the docks. Yes, sir, cried Thomas and Percy. Henry watched the engines puff away. He didn't feel well. Useful engines don't complain. He was leaving water everywhere as he chuffed towards the coaling plant. When Emily saw this, she was more worried than ever. Then Thomas and Percy overtook Henry. Hurry up, Henry! Percy tooted. I can't go any faster, Henry chuffed miserably. You're just being lazy, teased Thomas. Now, in Series 7, I very much feel that Thomas and Percy have begun to fall into a category of two little engines that cause tricks. Hmm. Because they don't seem to have actually matured. No, they've regressed. They've become quite juvenile. And this is something which I raised in Series 6. Because we all remember Series 5. We love Series 5. And how it seemed like Thomas and Percy, and all the engines for that matter, they'd spent long enough on the Sodor that they'd matured, they'd learned from all their experiences, and they knew how to behave and operate a railway and whatnot. And... As we head towards the hit era and into the next phase of Thomas and Friends, it's almost as if they're children. And it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, they've spent all this time on the railway and we've seen them grow up as such and now they're just reverting back to their old ways. And this won't be the last time that we see them with this mentality. Uh, We'll see a very similar thing occur in Salty's Stormy Tale. Mm -hmm, That we will, and later on in a future series when they play hide-and-seek, which is just really... Um, But (sighs) But we'll get to that that another day. Yes, Connor. What's the Matter with Henry by George Surrey uh, is the first episode with the question mark in its title. (laughs) Is it now? That's that's something I wasn't expecting. That's very interesting. Yeah, there you are. There's your trivia. It's the first episode with a question mark in its title. Now, this episode is very continuously cited uh, because Henry Verich seems to be sick again, which harkens back to series one when, due to his too small firebox, he wasn't able to be as strong, he couldn't pull as many trains, and everything was just sort of wrong with him and some people made fun of him for it and this story very much seems to mimic those early events Mm-hmm. and we all thought that henry of course was over all his illness but no apparently it's still plaguing him mm, true this is something you're going to see again uh in later series because it's going to be the normal henry trope now even though they fixed it it's going to be the thing that they always you know, it, it's going to be his character trope now. Yeah. Hmm. Pretty much forever and always. If an engine needs to be sick, it's going to be Henry. Exactly. Now, how this story plays out, more or less, is Henry's been feeling ill recently, and Thomas and Percy are making fun of him. Emily sort of is very much a bystander as she sees all of this unfold and gets very concerned about Henry. Now, later... When Thomas, Henry and Percy are sent to collect some trucks, they decide to play a trick and say, oh, Henry can take more trucks for us. You know, he's a lot bigger. The foreman agrees. But then later, Henry goes to take more trucks and he breaks down and is then rescued by Emily. Mm Mm-hmm. And, of course, Emily brings Henry to the yard with the trucks and Thomas and Percy... No, without the trucks... If I remember correctly, they leave the trucks behind. 
You are remembering correctly. Yeah, yes, yes. Very good. <laughs> and uh, Thomas and Percy then apologise and they're instructed by the Fat Controller to go back and fetch them. Mm. Uh, after they apologise to Henry because they didn't think he was actually sick. Mm. And then the episode ends with a nice little bit of dialogue between Emily and Henry. Emily goes, oh, you're, you're looking so much better. And then Henry, in very much season one Henry fashion, complains that, you know, they, they mended his tubes, but they didn't look at his brakes, his gauges, his squeaky wheels. <laughs> and so all, all in good time, Henry. It's fine. It's all good. Mm. But yeah, it's... Okay, I'll start with things that this episode does well. I like that little bit of dialogue at the end with Henry grumbling. Very much season one Henry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he definitely seems more grumpy. Uh, I love arrogant Henry. Uh, and the musical ditty at the very, very start of the episode is beautiful. That's it. All good. I can't find any other good yeah, thing about I, this I agree. There's, there's not a lot here. I mean, there's some nice shots. Like it's, the opening shot, for example, we've got Gordon speeding by and then he moves out of frame and we see Henry moving slowly in the background. That's a good shot. Uh, but other than that, yeah, it hasn't got a lot going for it. I mean, it's just Henry's ill. Thomas and Percy make fun of him for it. Emily rescues him. And that's it. I suppose the one thing the story does have going for it is there is this moral of, you know, if you do feel unwell and you do feel like you can't do something, then you should speak up. You should say something. Uh, but it, it's not a point that they emphasize enough, I feel. Yeah. We've got nothing more we can say about it. I mean, it's just Henry's unwell. Thomas and Percy make fun of him. Emily saves the day. Thomas and Percy made the feel bad. Henry's mended. L- Lachlan, please help me out here. Is there anything I'm missing? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I think you. I think you've basically hit all the points. This is a very. Uh, this is a very nothing episode. Yeah, it doesn't have anything clever going on. No underlying uh, theme. No morals. Just like it. Just it. Just is scene by scene. Hits all the points. It just yeah. It just is. Yeah. Um, well, 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 Connor, tell us about George Tarry, who is no relation to me, I swear. Um, <laughs> is this his only story in season seven, or has he got others lined up? Uh, so, George Tarry actually writes two episodes mm-hmm. uh, in series seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, he writes What's the Matter with Henry, and then he also writes The Runaway Elephant. Okay. Are those his only stories, or? Those are his only stories. Okay. Hmm. Um, all right. I think. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't believe us. We're lost for words. It's just. Well, I, I do have something to say here. Okay. Go, go ahead. It's more of a rebuttal to what I said earlier. Right. Go on. Because I said that this episode is commonly cited as a continuity error for the lines that Henry is apparently sick for no reason, just like in series one, Cole and whatnot. Hmm. And people seem to assume, as you clearly demonstrated for me, Perry, that after Henry's rebuild since the Flying Kipper, he's 100% top-notch again. Mm. However, that isn't true. People get sick. Engines get sick and break down all the time. So I would like to argue here that this isn't a continuation of Series 1 Henry being sick because a rebuild doesn't mean that you're free of illness forever. But what I would say, though, is that this is the start of the trope, as Lachlan pointed out, of Henry always being the engine that is sick. Mm, fair enough. I mean, after all, it wasn't his tubes that was the problem earlier on. It was just his boiler. It was him all over. He just... Yeah, he was his firebox. Wasn't able to operate effectively. And, and this time it's his tubes, but as Henry points out, he may have a bunch of other illnesses, such as his brakes, his gauges, his squeaky wheels. Yes, yes. So many other things, which it could be potential foreshadowing. It could just be a funny bit of dialogue. Hmm. My only rebuttal is that engines do get sick over time. However, if Henry was only sick one or two times after this, 
we saw other engines getting sick and feeling unwell. I feel this story would sort of be fine in its fact. But the fact that this is the first time of a long line of times that Henry is ill, oh no, he can't do a thing. And then that's Henry. Mm. Um, no, I, 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 th- I think we've exhausted all conversation we can have. Yeah, we have exhausted this conversation. And I'm not going to talk about this episode anymore and just go straight to a score of a three. A three for Henry. I agree with you 100%, Connor. I'm going to go with a three as well. Uh, not dancing around it. I'm also going to go with a three. Ooh. Oh, oh, all right. I think I think we're building up to something here. <laughs> Lachlan, what have you got for us? Okay, so Tom Denham's score for What's the Matter with Henry. Mm. People don't give this story the credit that it really deserves. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Tom Denham back at it again with the unpopular opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Tom's and Percy are actual nuisances here as they should be, and Henry continues to be temperamental. The narration falls a bit flat, though, but otherwise an okay story. That sunset sequence at the start is nice. Five out of ten. Oh. Okay. So, throughout the entire episode, we've been giving fives and sixes and fours, and he's been giving ones and twos and whatnot. And then the one time that we actually start to side with him, <laughs> he, he jumps... He gives a larger score. Ooh. <laughs> Like I said, Tom Denham with the unpopular opinions out here. Mm. We almost had a perfect Henry. I don't believe it. Well, hey, listen, okay. Denham's not here. So the three of us here can just agree Mm. that his score doesn't matter here. (laughs) And then we can say it's a perfect Henry. There we go. Perfect Henry. Awesome. Perfect Henry, guys. Well done. Well done, everybody. Yes. (laughs) Yay. And with that, we wrap up. Uh, episode 52 of the Right on Track podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week covering three more wonderful stories. Tom Parry, mm-hmm. what are they? The stories we're going to cover next time on episode 53 are James and the Queen of Sodor, The Refreshment Ladies Tea Shop, and The Spotless Record. And better yet, Denim will be returning to join us. Yes, uh, along with whilst we've had... Lachlan stepping in this week we will have a guest host for that as well so be excited Mm. now Lachlan thank you so much for helping with this episode of the podcast not a problem I do hope you guys had fun we very much did and um, if we do need your services again Lachlan will you be on standby for us just give me a tingle okay we will do (laughs) okay then I'll ring you on your telephone now, is there anything that you would like to promote? Um, well, not really at the moment. Just, you know, give me a follow on Twitter and uh, Instagram, I guess, at Lachlan's Double O Rails. Yeah, and you'll find those links below. But if you want to keep up with our social media, you can find us on our Instagram, T-T-T-E underscore right on track. Our Twitter page, at OnTrackThomas. And I believe your Facebook page is at Right On Track Thomas. Very close, Lachlan. At Right On Track Thomas Podcast. (laughs) Ah, there you go. (laughs) And we also have got our website, rightontrackthomas.wigsite.com forward slash podcast, where you can learn about us, find previous reviews, and find all the episodes of the podcast so far. Mm -hmm. But until that time comes... I'm still Connor. I'm still Parry. I'm still... uh, I mean, I'm still Tom Denham. (laughs) (laughs) That's been Lachlan. This has been the Right on Track podcast. Adios, guys. Bye-bye. Goodbye. That's good. Excellent.